Just after we got married and uh, I was working down in Gosport, uh, I bought a car. And uh, I bought a, uh, a red Peugeot 205 1.9 GTI. It was a fantastic car. It, went, it, was, it was fast. I loved it. It was two-door. Brilliant. Uh, and I bought it privately from a guy down near Chichester. Uh, and I took out a loan from my employer to buy the car. I loved that car. I loved driving it. And uh, a few months later, I got a letter uh, uh, from a company saying that the car had an outstanding loan on it. And basically, the bloke who sold me the car took the cash but never paid off his loan. And the loan company wanted their car back. I tell you, that was, it was outrageous. I got the letter. I'm like, I cannot believe it. I did a John Groves, a Victor Meldrum. I can't believe it. Fortunately, one thing saved me from losing the car. And uh, what had happened was when I bought it, I got him to sign a bit of paper saying that there was no outstanding HP on it. There was no outstanding loan on it. If I hadn't done that, I would have lost the car that I paid for. This passage that we're reading about is a warning to us about taking responsibility for someone else's debt. It's highlighting the danger of standing as a guarantor, uh, an old-fashioned word would be surety, for someone else. And the Proverbs, there's a number of Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 15, 17, 18, 22, chapter 22, verses 26 to 27, all making the same point. You see, it was a common problem of the day. If someone couldn't uh, prove, uh, didn't have the ability, couldn't prove they had the ability to pay back the money that they were borrowing, they would look for someone to personally guarantee that they were good for the loan. You see, the deeper point is this. Once we give our word on something, we are expected to keep it. And that's even when things go wrong and we have to pick up the tab. You may think, what has that got to do with us in 21st century Britain? But I want to show you that it is really relevant. I think God wants to speak to us through this passage this morning. I want to give you, first of all, some examples of how this is relevant to us. I remember when I was uh, in Hedge End, when I was one of the leaders in the church, and I was speaking one morning, and just before I was uh, going into the meeting, someone from the children's work came up to me and said, Steve, um, I need to make a uh, decision on this. Can I do this? And uh, I wasn't really thinking straight. I was rushing. My head was in other things. And I just said, yeah, yes, I'm sure that'll be fine. Later that morning, all hell broke loose in the children's work. It all went painfully wrong. And when it went wrong, the person who'd been making the decision said, it's okay, because Steve said it was okay. At the end of the meeting, I had to pick up the tab for what I said. I had to put it right. I'd given my word on something, and someone had acted on it, and I had to take responsibility for my actions. There are moments when, as parents, you take responsibility for your teenager's mobile phone contract. 
The few laughs around the room tell you you've already know what that means. What happens? When the bill gets run, run, run up, you have to pay the tab. Maybe you've taken responsibility for someone else's children. And uh, when they're in your house, they're your responsibility. You take responsibility for them. Sometimes people even take someone else's child on holiday with them. And they suddenly find that life gets so much more complicated. When the teenage girl that they've taken with them as a friend for their daughter says, right, I'm ready to go out partying tonight. My parents always let me do that. And you're having to say, whoa, actually, I'm in charge here. This is my responsibility. You've given your word to those parents that you're going to look after their daughter. What about when you agree to take someone else's shift? And when someone says to you, I can't do the shift, can you do it for me? It's a real problem. And you go, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then you suddenly later look in your diary and it's your wife's, it's your wife's birthday and you've, and you've given your word. What about taking responsibility for accommodation? I've signed contracts before now, taking responsibility for my children's student accommodation as a guarantor. There was a moment when my daughter was uh, a house in Swansea. Someone just walked away. One of the other students walked away. And the person who uh, owned the house, was leasing the house to them, said, actually, you are all responsible Well, my daughter didn't have the money to pay for it. I was potentially going to have to pick up the the tab for this other child that walked away. I'd sign the contract. What about an estimator? You work as an estimator. You estimate work uh, for a company. And you go out and you think, well, it's going to take five days to do that job. And so you quote on the basis of five days. And then suddenly when the guys turn up and they walk in and they go, five days? Are you crazy? We'll never do this in five days. This is going to take us ten days. And actually, you've committed, the company are committed to delivering it for the cost of five days. There are staff who write letters for companies. When I work for the council, there's a legal phrase called estoppel. And estoppel means this, that when you write on behalf of an organization, you write... What you write carries weight. And you can stop the council from being able to take any action. So someone can write and say, you don't need planning permission for this piece of work. Someone takes the council, that letter, as true. They build an extension. And then suddenly, the council realizes it needs planning permission. The council are stopped from taking action. Because... They've effectively given their word. Someone has given word on their behalf. This morning, we're going to look at this whole area of honoring our word. Why is what we say so important? Surely it doesn't matter that much. Everyone says they don't, things they don't mean, don't they? Well, that may well be true. But the Bible goes to great lengths to make clear, first of all, that our words are powerful. It says in Proverbs 18.21, the, the tongue has the power of life and death. Do we understand the power of the things that we say? How many people's lives have been ruined by the words that have been spoken about them? 
over them as they're growing up. You'll never amount to anything. Well, actually, we were hoping that you would be a little boy. We didn't want another little girl, but we were hoping you were a little boy. But we do love you. And they, someone grows up living under that cloud of, well, I wasn't really wanted. Someone didn't really want, they didn't really want me. Nelson Mandela said this after spending all the years that he was incarcerated on Ellis Island. He said this, It is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done anything to us, it was to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in the impact that it has on the way people live and die. Words have a huge impact. Why are they so powerful? Well, the truth is, words carry the authority of the one speaking them. That's why God's words in the Bible are all powerful. He created the universe by speaking. He he spoke everything into being. Out of nothing, the Bible tells us. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says that God calls things that are not as though they are. That's what God does. John describes Jesus as the Word, the Word of God. Jesus came to earth in human form, God incarnate. He only ever said what he heard his Father in heaven saying. His words were powerful. At a word from Jesus... The sick were healed, people were released from demonic forces, miracles happened at a word. Jesus' word carried immense power. There's a moment in John chapter 18. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before he's betrayed and there's a mob coming to arrest him. And it's dark, they're carrying torches Judas is with them and he's going to identify Jesus with a kiss. And when the mob arrives, Jesus says this. He says, who is it you want? And the mob say to him, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. John records what happens when Jesus says that. This is what he says. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus' words carried immense power. When Jesus said, I am he, it carried echoes of God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. Declaring who he was. I am that I am. When Jesus said, I am he, he revealed himself to be the Son of God, the Lord of glory. And in that moment, his words carried immense power. And people just fell down, struck by the power of his words. When God speaks, we are overwhelmed. Jesus' words were all-powerful because he was all-powerful. You see, the Bible makes it clear that we are created in the image of God. That's what it talks about in Genesis chapter 1. That's why our words carry power. 
When Adam named every living creature, God brought the creatures that he'd created in front of Adam. It says that Adam named them and that's what they were called. God said, if that's what you call them, that's what they are. That is why we have to be so careful about labeling people. Because our words carry power. You see, even though the human race has turned away from God as living independently of God, living without reference to God, that's what the Bible calls sin. When the human race has turned away from God, our words still carry power. Our words still have the power to bless people or to curse them. And when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through what he did on the cross as we've been singing about this morning, our words have power because we become sons of God. We are literally children of God and so our words are powerful. So when Jesus says this, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, he really means it. He has given us authority to declare freedom, to declare judgment, to speak to mountains, obstacles, things that are in our way, things that uh, hem us in, situations and circumstances. He's given us power to speak into them. And he says that our, our words will move those mountains. He says that our prayers are powerful and effective. What we say is important. Our words are powerful. So secondly, we need to be careful what we promise. In Proverbs 13, it says this. He who guards his lips guards his life, but who, he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. We will have to give an account for every careless word we've spoken. This is so true of the promises that we've made. I remember years ago, probably, uh, I'm trying to think back, probably about eight to ten years ago, being at a bedside of a young woman in the church who was dying of cancer, dying of liver cancer. And I remember her saying to me at that moment, she said, will you look after my husband and my little children? And I remember just saying yes. How easy it is to say things like that, to say yes, of course I will. And I remember in the years that followed, trying to do my best for him and his young family, who are now grown up. Our words carry power. Our words, we must keep our word. You see, once we've said it, we can't take it back. God takes the promises that we make seriously. Listen to these three passages. They're going to come up in the screen, on the screen behind me. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he has said. Deuteronomy 23, verse 23. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 4 to 6. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. 
It is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest my vow was a mistake. You see, the truth is that as children of God, our words are powerful and God expects us to do what we say. When we give our word, we are doing it before God. And that's why Jesus says, you don't need to swear oaths under uh, using any other name. You need to simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so if we're going to be careful what we say, be careful what we promise, first of all, we need to be slow to speak. That's what it says in James chapter 1, verse 19. Be slow to speak. Proverbs Chapter 10, verse 19 says this, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I was reading something, I was telling the the guys at the men's breakfast yesterday morning. Bill Hybels says that uh, if we want to, to sin less, we need to speak less. We need to hold our tongue. We need to learn to be those who are careful about what we say. Don't make rash promises. You make rash promises when you answer quickly without thinking about it. We need to be slow to speak. If we're going to be careful about the promises we make, we need to count the cost. Can I do what I say? Do I need to caveat what I say? I can do that, but uh, on this basis. If this morning you are here thinking... Jesus Christ, why would I give my, if I give my life to him, does that mean my, my life will, will change? Yes, it will. You need to count the cost if you're going to follow Jesus Christ. It's not about making rash promises. Jesus, if you say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, he will take you at your word. He will literally want your life. That's why the New Testament says you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you belong to him, not to yourself anymore. You give yourself into his hands. You you say, well, that that cost is too high. Well, you need to count the cost. Count the cost of what you say. And the third thing is, if we're going to be careful what we promise, we need to be those who point to Christ. What I mean is this, we're not to take away people's responsibility to seek Jesus Christ for themselves. This week I was uh, reading and and praying with someone early one morning and uh, we were working our way through Timothy and uh, we were in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And uh, we read a passage, uh, verse 3 to about verse 10 and uh, When I looked at the passage, uh, just before the person arrived, I I looked at the passage and it was talking about widows and widows, the widows list in Ephesus. And I thought, oh my word, what are we going to get out of that this morning? I want to tell you, God spoke so profoundly. You see, that passage, in that passage, Paul is saying this, he says this, he's talking about widows and how the church looks after widows. And he says this, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. You think, oh, okay, understand that, really in need. In verse 5, he goes on to say this. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. 
oh, okay, I think, think I understand that, God. Then Paul goes on to talk about a widow's list, about who the church puts on this list, because they, not every widow went on this list. And what Paul is saying is, he says, these are the, the sorts of characteristics of the, the, the widows that should go on the list. And then he gives a list, and he says things like that. They, uh, she must have been faithful to her husband. She must be known for her good deeds in terms of bringing up her children. She must be well known for hospitality, be someone who has served in the church. If they have done those things, they can go on the list. When I read that, everything within me went, that's outrageous. That's, about, that's, that's legalism. That's about law. That's about if you perform well, then that will happen. That's not. I thought the gospel was about grace. Then I saw it. Then I understood it. You see, the point is this. There's a profound principle here that Paul is making. He's saying that before anything else, widows should seek God. They should throw themselves on God, throw themselves on his mercy. They should seek his face. They should be women who pray. He's saying that if You take responsibility for them and they are not seeking God. They are looking to you, not first and foremost to God. He's making the point that a widow who is really in need will seek God with all her heart. And if she does that, her life will be characterized by these sorts of things. And if her life is characterized by those sort of things, you can know with a certainty that it's okay to support her because she is throwing her lot and trusting God. She's not trusting the church to meet their needs. When I got it, I thought, wow, that is a profound principle. How many people come to me and say, Steve, really in need, will you, will you help us? And everything within me wants to go, oh yeah, okay, we'll make it okay. We'll make it right for you. When first of all, I should be challenging them and encouraging them to seek God with all their heart, first and foremost. The church isn't the answer to your problems. You need to look to God first and foremost. It is a profound principle. It doesn't mean that we don't help others. I mean, we run a soup service. We're running Christians Against Poverty Debt Center from within the building. And that's for people outside the church and we want to bless them and help them. Any in need, we will do what we can to help. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you don't look to someone else to sort your problem out. You look to God. I tell you, if you get that, it changes everything. We must be careful what we promise. Too many of us want to stand in the gap for people. And so people look towards us. And somehow it meets a need within us, a need to be needed, a need to be wanted. And actually, instead of pointing, they getting their need met in Christ, they get it met in us. We must point people to Christ. Be careful what you promise. Thirdly, we need to honor our word. God expects us to honor our word. Whether that be in terms of marriage vows, God expects you to honor the vows you made. As a teenager, if you say, if your parents say, will you clean your room, and you say, I will clean my room, I'll do it later, you need to do it. I want to tell you why it's important. Because 
If you keep your word, you are expecting your parents to keep your, their word to you. When they say they're going to come and pick you up at a specific time, you expect them to keep their word. Learn to keep your word. Learn to keep your word. Fathers, if you've got a busy week and you've made a promise to be at your child's school play or a football match to watch them play, you need to move heaven and earth to fulfill your word to be there. Your child is expecting you to be there. If you give a quote to do work and you get it wrong in the quote that you give and you suddenly find out that you're gonna, it's going to cost you more, you're going to spend longer doing it, you need to honour the word that you gave. You honour your contract. I read of a former executive at a company. The, this executive had left, and in an email, he'd made a promise to a third party, and it was going to cost the company over £100,000. It's going to cost them a load of money. But this company's motto was this, the ethos was this, we honour God by honouring our commitments, even when it is difficult, expensive, or inconvenient, and they paid up. God expects us to honour our word, and we need to do it with good heart. If we've made promises to give, to pray, to support, to serve, to follow, we need to back up our words with our actions. Paul talks about honouring our commitments when he says this. Romans chapter 13, it will come up behind me. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Our integrity depends on us following through. You see, the problem comes. The problem comes when we've been trapped by our words. We've made a promise that we can't hope to keep. That's what this proverb is talking about. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 5 is talking about. And all of us have done that on occasions. And when we do that, fourthly, when we've been trapped by our words, there is a way out. Have you ever found yourself trapped by a promise? Someone said to you, will you, will you hold this confidential? And without thinking about it, you say yes. And then suddenly they tell you something and you think, oh my word, they walk away from the situation having told someone, having felt that they've been accountable and you're left carrying this burden and it's weighed you down. I remember someone ringing me up in absolute tears because they'd been trapped by their words over a confidence. They were careless about making a promise to keep a confidence. When Jesus, just before Jesus is betrayed, he's talking about his impending death and his disciples are all making great promises. They say, we'll never abandon you. Peter, big, bold, brave Peter, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And we all know what happens. Within hours, Peter is denying Jesus. 
making terrible oaths that he never knew him. Peter's shame is recorded for us all to see. God wants us to see that because we've all been trapped by our words. We've all made promises we can't fulfill, obligations that we can't keep to. And when that happens, the writer of the Proverbs says this, go and humble yourself. Go and ask for mercy. But first of all, before you go to anyone else, you need to go to the one who has stood as our guarantor before God. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant, a better hope, of better promises before God. Jesus honoured his word and went to the cross on our behalf so those who have broken their words can be forgiven. And so Jesus was able to restore Peter. Jesus restored Peter. Jesus forgave him. Humble yourself before God and ask his forgiveness. The second thing is, you will need to go and ask for mercy from the person that you made the promise to. Go and ask and if necessary, plead with them to release you. Tell them you shouldn't have made it. You were foolish. Tell them that you were wrong. And then you need to trust God to work through the subsequent circumstances because sometimes there are consequences to promises that we make. Maybe this morning you've been let down and disappointed by somebody else. Maybe you've been at the receiving end of a promise that's not been kept. Maybe you're sitting here carrying something You've been carrying something for years. Someone made promises to you and they never delivered. And the hurt of it has caused you to withdraw and to put up boundaries, to almost try and encase yourself in armor to protect your heart because you've been hurt by what others promised. You've been let down. Then this morning, there's hope for you. You need to know That you can come to a God who never breaks his word. Who never lets you go. Who never lets you down. A God who will be with you through every day of your life. However high the waves get. However high the river gets as we were singing about earlier. God will never disappoint you. You will have disappointed him many times. He will never let you down. You need to come to the one who has forgiven you and you need to let go of those things you've been holding on to. You see, God never breaks his word. And God expects us to honor our word. If you're a believer this morning, you are a child of God and your words are powerful. So be careful what you say. Be slow to speak. Don't make rash promises. Always, always, always count the cost before you make a promise. Can I deliver that? Will I be prepared to deliver that if that goes wrong? If I sign this for someone else and they fail to make the payments, am I prepared to pay the cost? Always, always, always point people to Jesus Christ. Never stand in the gap. Even if it does, if, if, even if it makes you feel good, if it makes you feel good, then that's probably a sign that you didn't ought to do it. It makes you feel needed, 
always point people to Jesus because Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Maybe today, this morning, you need to come to know Christ. Maybe you need to make that promise, Jesus, I will follow you all my days. Don't let your words come out lightly. Count the cost. But I tell you, if you do that, he will never, ever disappoint you. I'm going to finish with this reading from Hebrews chapter 6. Finishing with verse 22 of chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses. Listen to this. God tells us, not only has he promised us hope, he has sworn an oath that he's going to bring about what he's promised. The God of heaven promises something. If that were not enough, he has sworn an oath on his own name that he will deliver that promise. What God is saying is, if I do not deliver my word, everything falls apart. This whole universe collapses. He has sworn an oath on who he is. And this is what the writer says. He said, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. God wants you to be greatly encouraged this morning. He has made a promise and sworn an oath that he will never leave you or forsake you. He has promised that all things work together for good to those who love God. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Does that not make your soul sing? Does that not make you want to stand up and go, oh God, that is amazing. Maybe you feel this morning, you know you've made promises that you've broken your word. And you know that you need to get right with God. Maybe this morning you've had promises made over you and others have let you down. Maybe years and years and years ago and you want to get right with God this morning. You want to stop carrying the hurt of that and the pain of that. God wants you to be free of it. He wants you to look to him, not to other people.